never, ever marks the spot. I am altering the deep. Pray I don't alter it any further. Most of the intelligence community doesn't believe he exists. The ones that do call him the Winter Soldier. I'm Batman. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the podcast that will now be carrying Skittles for our a possible encounter with a unicorn. My name is Drew. I'll be your host for the evening. Along with me, as always, is my brother, Peter. Hey, Peter. man. What's how, up? How are you? I'm uh, doing pretty good. It's been a crazy busy week for me, but um, the weekend's here, and I'm excited about that. And, uh, yeah, uh, how are you doing? <laughs> uh, it is... Uh, it's been a crazy week for me as well. I have some time off from work coming, so I'm just I'm just excited for the weekend to begin because I got Dungeons and Dragons tomorrow with my adult group, and then I get to relax on Sunday, and then I'm technically on vacation. <laughs> That's awesome. So, nice. So yeah. Um, yeah. Sweet. Sounds cool. <laughs> so um, we have a ton of news. So let's not bury the lead or anything. But what um. What are we watching? What are we reading? What do we got for me? Um, well, that's great that we have a ton of news because I've sort of not really watched or read anything. Um, I feel sad to say it. I've just had like one of those weeks where I've had like, you know, random commitments and then like family gatherings and birthday parties. And it's just been crazy. And uh, I haven't even I haven't had a chance to watch Shazam, although I did hear a bit about the Skittles thing. I, I know a little bit about what you're talking about there, oh. but um, I, I haven't even had a chance to watch this week's episode of uh, Mandalorian yet. And the one thing, <laughs> the one thing that I have done is not nerdy at all, like not at all, but I can relate it back to the nerdiness we always talk about because the one thing that I have done is uh, I have a group of friends who do like March madness brackets every year. And they convinced me to put my money in the pool and make a bracket <laughs> and join into that nonsense. And the reason I bring it up because it's totally in the realm of sports and not usually what we talk about on the podcast, but the reason we bring it up is I'm like the I'm not the biggest sports guy, but I've been kind of having a lot of fun with it this year because I've caught some of the games, not all of them, but it's kind of just this lingering thing in the background of my life where no matter what I'm doing, I can still be like, oh, let me check the check my bracket. Let me see where my standing is and stuff. <laughs> and it's kind of like this lingering feeling of being in a game that's just kind of in the background of everything that's going on with me. Does that make sense? And like in a weird way, it, it kind of reminds me of uh, Pokemon Go. And that sounds ridiculous. But my favorite part of Pokemon Go is you have this app on your phone and wherever you went, you're still like on the hunt. You're like, right. oh, I can still catch Pokemon. Like my life has become a game in a sense. And I feel like I'm a little bit 
be I've become a little bit converted to like I'm probably going to keep doing March Madness brackets every year <laughs> because I'm enjoying the whole like I just feel like there's a game going on in my in the background of my life and this is kind of cool, you know what I mean? So with that yeah. being said, last weekend was like the first weekend of games and my bracket was doing really good and uh now i'm like second to last place in my group group of friends so i'm a little bit disappointed about that (laughs) but overall it's been a lot of fun so uh that's me this week (laughs) sure um well i had a chance to watch shazam i'll give you a review and that'll like blend in the news really really well so i'll save my review to the end of that um I watched, I'm current on The Mandalorian, Mandalorian's, I read an article that said uh, Mandalorian needs to get to the point real quick here, like, there's, there were saying that it's not, there's not enough um, urgency, um, the way the other two seasons have felt, like, the other two seasons have really felt like, like, the first season you kind of knew, like, here's the quest, right? And then the second season you're like, okay, the quest continues, but it's a little bit different of a quest, here we go. And then now there doesn't necessarily seem to be a quest, but the way it's playing out and you, and I know you saw the episode of the mythosaur. So the way things are playing out right now is kind of like really interesting to watch. So this week's episode I thought was really a really nice quality episode. Um, Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm only one episode behind. I think I can kind of see the criticism that like, I don't know what the overarching plot of this season is besides just uh Din Djarin kind of becoming a Mandalorian again. But um, so I can see that criticism, but I have been, I don't have a lot of complaints as well. Like I've been enjoying the season. Mm. Um, I didn't mean to cut you off there, though, oh, but. Um, so the, uh, you did see the episode with the scientist, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So Here's what's interesting about the scientist episode is that they that episode seemed really weird to me because of that's kind of how Andor was. So, like, you know, that slow part of the episode where they basically went into the offices and (laughs) basically were watching an episode of The Office in the world of Star Wars. That part (laughs) of the episode, for the most part, didn't feel like Star Wars. And I think you know what I mean when I say that. That was like that's like 90 percent of what Andor is. And that's, well, maybe 80%. Maybe I'm being a little, like, over-exaggeration. But I was watching it, and what made me more interested in this part of The Mandalorian that Andor had was that this scientist, if it's leading to where I'm thinking it's leading it, his research that he was doing at the beginning of The Mandalorian, leading up to where he is now, is a precursor to what it's going to take to start cloning for the Snoke clones and for the Emperor, Um, which is just like, oh, this is cool. Okay, we're going to start seeing the beginning of the First Order and this Imperial officer. And I'm drawing a blank on her name right now, but the one who was with Moff Gideon Mm -hmm. and now she's like in this rehabilitation thing. I totally think she's a sleeper agent trying to set this up like, ooh, okay. He's here. We're going to go get him. We're going to find out what he knows. We're going to do this stuff, blah, blah, blah. Let's get him set up. Um, He's going to, like, push us for the cloning aspect of this so we can start creating, recreating the Emperor, and then First Order, here we go. Um, 
And then the next episode after that is all Mandos all day long. So it's it's a lot of fun. But (laughs) I think that's where they're going with that. So I was very interested in the whole scientist thing, even though it was a slower section of the episode because of the ramifications of it. Um, So so I I think you do have a good I think you have a good call on that uh, female officer or character. I I can't remember her name either. But I think I think you are like her whole like conspiratorial plans with uh this guy's research i think you're right on the money and i think that's a really cool thread my issue with that part of the episode and i kind of joked about this with some friends uh we were talking about the episode but you have this episode where you (laughs) at certain parts it almost feels like you're watching the scientist go to like graduate school or something like it almost feels like oh he's going to the dorms and he's making friends and stuff and then there's also the parts of the episode that like you said feel like the office like oh he's sitting in a cubicle and he's doing his research like he's doing his job and I'm sitting there watching it and I'm like this is kind of the stuff I have in my real life that I'm wanting to escape from you know I don't want to watch cubicles when i'm watching a star wars show uh that being said by the end of that segment i actually think i was a little bit more interested in that story almost than i am with uh din Djarin's story at the moment which like i said i'm an episode behind so that might change but i think it got really interesting as that went on and the whole like the whole like train sequence with uh them in the train and the and the droids like chasing them and they had to escape and all that stuff was super intense it had like a really cool sort of like conspiracy thriller vibe to the whole thing so i think that was a really cool part and uh i'm kind of excited to see how that's going to play out and i feel like it's a little bit of that story might play out in a completely different show like that might come back that storyline might come back in and or season two or Boba Fett. Like, I'm not really sure. Well, and it's a cool thing that you mentioned it that way. So this is a slight news story that's getting a little bit uh, bumped up. But the idea that Boba Fett, Mandalorian kind of connected, Ahsoka is clearly connecting. um, There's a big theory that they're leading towards a big crossover event. And there was a rumor back in the day that the whole point that they were doing that, where they were making all these shows and then there was going to be a big crossover event that would be like a Disney Plus movie, um, which would be awesome. So you have uh, Book of Boba Fett, um, Mandalorian, Ahsoka, the show Skeleton Crew will all coalesce into a big crossover. Um, So... Um, bringing that up is just like, hey, that sounds great, you know. So. Yeah, absolutely. That that actually does sound awesome. Um, yeah, and I, I know we touched on that a little bit last week. Uh, the last thing I'll say about that episode, though, is like, if Andor, like, because I am way behind on that series, but if the whole series takes place in a lot of cubicle-like offices and stuff, and I don't know if that's what you were getting at, but it makes me a lot less motivated to catch up on that show, is all I wanted to say, but I could be totally wrong there. In in all seriousness, I think there's a lot of good in Andor. I've said it before. I just feel like it didn't feel like Star Wars. That was my problem. Yeah. Um, And I think you'll see what I'm talking about when you watch it, because there's these moments that are very Star Wars, and Mm -hmm. then there's moments where you're just like, what am I watching? Right. Uh, 
And I think it was an issue of choices and it comes down to people being in charge of that one show that didn't understand Star Wars the way it should be understood. But I'm just a guy on a podcast and I could be wrong, but that's just my opinion. Um, all right. So moving on, uh, I truly believe that Marvel is listening to our show um, <laughs> because um, I'm a big advocate. I read both uh, the DC Infinite app on my phone and I read the Marvel Unlimited app on my phone and I love them both. They're great. I have a, gr a lot of fun. But my one criticism that I've had is that on the DC app, when you have a full when you have it open to full page, you can pinch and zoom, right? Move it around. Mm -hmm. When you have it set the panel, so you're going panel by panel, you can pinch and zoom. Marvel, for the longest time, it was full page. You could pinch and zoom, but when you're on the panels, you couldn't. And every now and then, because I'm reading on my phone, I would get to a panel that would the the dialogue would be just small enough to where I'd have to switch the full page to pinch and zoom on that one panel. Oh, um, I gotcha. Not that big of a deal. It was just that's the one big thing, right? So I mentioned it on our show a long time ago, and all of a sudden on the Marvel app, I can pinch and zoom on the panel. Um, I, I don't nice. want to take I don't want to take credit for it. I just thought that was interesting. It's not as fluid as the DC app. The DC app has seems to have a little bit more control when you pinch and zoom, but you can still you can now do it on the Marvel app, which is great. So um, you guys are almost there, Marvel. <laughs> well, um, but it was, it was nice to see that. Um, all, all I have to say is like this story comes after you just said that you're just a pot, a guy on a podcast and you could know, write I Star know. Wars better than them. And now you're you're being a little too humble. Your humility's out of control. You know, take credit for it. You gave Marvel that idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I won't just make it a humble brag, I guess. Right. Um, so the. Um, I watched the show, I started watching the show Shrinking on Apple TV, which is wonderful. Like, it's absolutely fantastic. Um, Jason Segel, um, Harrison Ford, uh, the, I can't remember her name. I always draw a blank on it, but she's, she was from Scrubs. She was married to Dr. Cox on Scrubs. Um, oh, okay. I know the actress. Um, at any rate, so... It's basically it, it's fantastic. And Harrison Ford either was literally like someone approached him was like, hey, we have this idea. We want you to do it. Or he was like, I'm bored. Like, what could I go do? You know, um, so basically Jason Siegel plays a therapist who his wife just died. So he is like in a real bad state of depression. He's trying to still give therapy to these people. And he has this like. Moment of enlightenment where he basically like tells one of his patients like instead of giving him the advice, like the way, instead of talking to his patient, the way a therapist should, he just basically is like, no, 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 look, get over yourself. Just, you know, and <laughs> he kind of like lays it out and the patient goes and kind of listens to what the therapist says and goes and does it and turns their life around. And he's like, hold on, I might be onto something. Yeah. And slowly it starts, his life starts getting better because he's taking his own advice, but it's also him dealing with his patients. And then, um, his, his relationship with his daughter is getting better because now they're talking again since his wife passed away and all that stuff. Harrison Ford plays, um, I thought he was Jason Siegel's dad for the longest time when I was watching the show, but ultimately he's just another therapist in the same office as Jason Siegel. But it's so, it's a wonderful, charming, funny show. Um, if you get a chance to check it out, it's great. Um, 
So yeah, yeah, shrink- that, that sounds cool. Shrinking, and then um, Ted Lasso's back, and Ted Lasso, as I've talked before, is wonderful, and I love it. But my problem with Ted Lasso is that I didn't know it was a weekly show, and I binged the first two seasons. <laughs> nice. So um, I finished the first episode and went, oh, there's no second episode to watch. And then this week came around, and I was like, I finished the episode, and I was like, oh, there's no third episode yeah. to watch. So it's kind of like, no, I want more right now. <laughs> it's uh, also like, I feel like that's the ultimate test with a show, because – once you binge up to the point where you're current with their release schedule, can you still maintain that momentum and enthusiasm that you had for the show while you were binging it? Because I've experienced that with uh, Game of Thrones a little bit, but like Lost, for example, I binged like the first four seasons and then I was current and it was just a total different vibe where I still loved the show, but I was just like that much less enthusiastic and, uh, excited about it so i feel yeah. like that's definitely a test with uh shows like that yeah yeah so uh it's the show's wonderful um i really hope you get a chance to watch it because really um, i know you don't have apple tv but i hope you find a way to watch it uh, i think i think we do now i think we're like sharing under the table somebody's apple tv account so maybe i'll actually check it out well if you are in all seriousness watch it like I, you're gonna you'll love it I did go to a I did go to a Christmas party this past uh, Christmas season and uh, everybody there was just raving about Ted Lasso is just left and right. Oh, it's the greatest show ever and stuff. So I guess I have to watch it at this point. Yeah, you, you kind of do. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. And then uh, what, what did I watch anything else? And then I, I've kind of kept up with things. But the big one is I watched Shazam. So I'll just yeah. go into that. Um, Well, can can I say before you got into it, superhero movies and the Internet don't get along right now. And we're at a point where the big spoilers from the movie, I'm pretty sure I already know because I'm on Twitter and I just (laughs) unwilling that unwillingly see them. But we've also had a podcast pretty recently about spoiling movies and stuff, and I am not that much of a spoiler wimp for lack of a better term like drew okay. you can go into your spoiler filled review if you want so i've already heard a lot about the movie i'm so, still excited about it and I'm so in terms of cameo yourself. and so in terms of cameos and the big stuff that was supposed to be surprises that kind of got ruined by that's the thing that i think i know okay yeah. so there's a commercial that released right before the movie launched and i think it was like oscar weekend the commercial dropped and Everyone went, don't watch this commercial. It ruins Shazam. And it doesn't ruin Shazam. It just ruins a big cameo moment. Um, So it's just kind of like, okay, that's cool. Um, I caught the commercial, so I knew what it was. Unfortunately, I saw it, but so I knew what it was. But I'll tell you this, that cameo. um, Do you want me just to tell talk about what it is? Because I don't want like it's hard to talk without. Yeah, go go for it. (laughs) Spoiler alert. (laughs) Spoiler alert. If you don't want to know Shazam, Fury of the Gods spoiled for you, I guess skip ahead a few minutes. Um, The cameo is at the end of the movie and it's Wonder Woman. And this is not a cameo where like Superman at the end of Black Adam, where he comes in and says one line of dialogue. No, this is a full sequence and it's a Oh, nice. It's a big kind of moment. It's also not a bonus scene. It's in the movie. Um, So it's actually at the end and it's like, whoa, it's not like a throwaway thing. It's a big cameo moment and it's really kind of cool and awesome. 
Um, so yeah. Um, so yeah, Wonder Woman's in the movie and she appears at the end. Um, the movie itself was a lot of fun. If you liked Shazam one, you're going to get more Shazam. Um, so go in with Shazam expectations when you watch this movie. Um, the internet and the uh, fan base and everything are not enjoying superhero movies, like you said. So it's very, very low box office. And uh, Zachary Levi had a quote basically saying that um, we hope for the best, but shit happens is basically what he says. Um, <laughs> just like it's basically we're trying to make the best movie possible and shit happens. Um, I've been hearing stuff where it's like Zachary Levi is uh, I, there's like this weird feud between him and The Rock. About oh, like, we're going to I said Shazam trails in the news. We're going to get into that. OK, Uh-oh. OK, so we'll get into that. But then there's also like things he said about like the Snyder Cut fans and stuff. And I feel like it's a lot of uh, passing the blame off. And it kind of it's kind of unfortunate because everything I've heard about the movie is that it's actually a solid flick. Like it's a good superhero movie, but it's just it almost feels like it's wrong timing. I don't know if there's just too much superhero fatigue Maybe. at the I, moment or something. I think the problem right now is we're in what's these four movies coming out are considered the DC reset movies. Yep. Rolling yeah. this James Gunn era, but we got to get through the rest because they said it's reset stuff. So we have this Zachary Levi thing and you have this Wonder Woman cameo and you're like, well, hold on a second. You know, like, <laughs> you know, what 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 does that mean? Is Gal Gadot Wonder Woman now or is she just or is they just showing us this? But then they're going to turn around and say she's not Wonder Woman. <laughs> like, what's going you know on? What, you know what this feels like in a weird way? This feels like I don't I feel like it was like 2011 or 2012 or whenever it was when DC announced the new 52 that they were doing the new 52 yep. after Flashpoint. And it was going to be a total reboot of their universe. That's yep. what this feels like, because everybody at that point in time was like, well, should I just throw all of my long boxes away? Should I get rid of all my DC comics because we're going to reboot everything? Nothing that happened before matters anymore. And even though, like, you're thinking of the things that happened before, there's so many really good comic book stories in there. Wow. But then at the same time, people aren't going to be as enthused about it. And it's what? kind of weird that we're experiencing that with cinema right now, what we experienced what? with the comics back then. Yeah. And what I think is interesting about the new 52 regime that you mentioned was when DC made that announcement for the comic books, like, Hey, we're going to do this new thing. Flashpoint's going to happen. And then we're going to this new era, new 52, yeah. everything's reset to zero. Um, what happened was, is each comic book that fell into the new 52 headline got 52 issues and then the event was over and then it right and then rebirth happened and then we were back to the original counting system so like the comics went back to the original roots the new 52 timeline essentially was the flashpoint timeline um and we're going into a movie that specifically focuses on flashpoint and we are going to see the dc reset because what they're going to do is they're going to use flashpoint as such and then we're going to be in that i guess new 52 timeline or the james gunn era if you will Uh, and that's actually cool to point out because you got to think about flashpoint flashpoint features michael keaton's batman so mm -hmm. they are very distinctly saying with that movie 
all of DC, all of the DC movie multiverse matters, like going back to Michael Keaton. Who knows? We might have Christopher Reeve Superman uh, references in that movie, but they're saying this is all important. And I feel like it's almost maybe the marketing team needs to somehow convey that to the people so that they can still come to the box office. Like these last bits of the DCEU, you know, Shazam, Aquaman, The Flash, like these movies still matter, even though we're getting James Gunn's universe coming up. So that's a really interesting uh, way to look at things, you know? Yeah, it is. So at any rate, um, to not spoil the plot of the movie, I thought the villain and the villain, uh, Lucy Liu and Helen Mirren being the villains and the new Flash was a way it was as a villain. I liked it much more than I liked the first movie. Um, I like. Wow. OK, I like the villain better. OK, Um I thought the Seven the first... Deadly Sins was pretty awesome. Oh, I <laughs> so thought, now oh, I'm excited about the this. The Seven Deadly Sins were really great. I'm not going to lie. And all that stuff um, was awesome. But I really liked these villains and the magic mythology stuff because they do. I don't want to say it's Seven Deadly Sins, but it's something different this time around, which I yeah. really enjoyed. It was really cool what they did there. Um, and uh the family and all that's the the shazam family and how that all played there were some lot of good like laugh out loud moments and you know uh just stuff in general it was just a really i thought i enjoyed it a lot um yes the wonder woman bonus scene um there are two sorry the wonder woman scene at the end there are two bonus scenes in the credits the very end credit bonus scene connects to the first shazam film specifically um and it looks like going forward. And in the James Gunn world, I wonder if that scene was adjusted because of where we're headed. Um, so because we don't know what the we don't know what the future is Shazam is yet. Um, so the very last bonus scene I thought was connected to. Yes, it brings connects to the original Shazam, but I think it kind of moves us forward in a reset way. Um, and then the middle credit bonus scene I think was added later. I really do. Hmm. Um, you did you watch Peacemaker? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> um, in Peacemaker, there's a group of Task Force X or Suicide Squad agents under the control of Amanda Waller that go get Peacemaker and basically go, "We're going to be your team while we go do these missions." Okay. Um, one of them, Agent Harcourt. If I'm saying her name correctly, she um, she's like one of my she's literally like my favorite of the agents. Well, turns out she's married to James Gunn. Right. So so the middle credit scene, her and one of the other agents are like walking along this like road discussing Shazam. And they're like, we got to go find this guy. We were told he was down here or whatever. Um, and Shazam's just fucking around with his powers, basically. And, uh, oops, I dropped the F-bomb. I didn't mean to do that. Anyway, Shazam, um, <laughs> I try not to say that. Anyway, he's messing around with his powers. Um, he, uh, he's messing around with his powers and they come up and he, she's like, hey, we want you to join this team. And she says, it's the justice. And he goes, yes, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. Whatever the team is. I want to be with Batman and Wonder Woman and all this stuff. He's like name dropping. And she's like, yes. She's like, okay, you're in. Great. And he's like, yeah, Justice League, here we go. And she's like, Justice Society. And he's like, what? <laughs> that's awesome he's like what is that and she's like it's the other team that he's like how is that different she goes well it's different because that's how words work um (laughs) but 
it was a really funny scene, but the fact that she was in it made me wonder if that scene was actually added because of her connection to Peacemaker, because of her connection to the Suicide Squad, because of her connection to James Gunn and him going and going forward. So I don't call. Yeah. um, Shazam specifically, it was a cool scene because if you remember in Black Adam, the Suicide Squad was heavily represented in the Black Adam movie. But let's talk about the future of Shazam real quick and some of these things that have hit the Internet. Okay. Zachary Levi talks about his DC future as Shazam after Fury of the Gods. Um, My responsibility is to just show up and be the best Shazam I can be, and I take that very seriously. I've known Peter for years and James even longer, and I think they're going to be really great leaders. I think James is a very talented, visionary person, and I'm looking forward to doing whatever holds. Um, And that's basically a quote saying, I want to continue being Shazam, and if they want me, I'm here, you know, which is great. Okay. Is this the quote? Uh, no. Um, okay. So there's a big rumor. So here's the thing. Shazam Fury of the Gods director, uh, David S. Sandberg, revealed that Superman and Batman were considered to be cameos in the film. However, WB would not allow that to happen. Um, the idea was dropped pretty quickly because that opens up a whole nother can of worms, apparently. Now, this movie was made before James Gunn's involvement so it's important to note that the original dc execs that just got all let go were a part of the problem right Mm -hmm. so here's the here is the concerning news all right the rock did not allow zachary levi camp to cameo in the post-credit scene for black adam uh the rap confirms that shazam fury of the gods the Justice Society from Black Adam was recruiting Shazam in the post credits, like I just mentioned. The Rock denied access to David S. Sandberg and had to make a last minute decision to add Amelia and John. So they had to bring in those like so basically because of The Rock, they had to change that whole sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, according to the rap, Dwayne Johnson attempted to restructure the DCEU centering him and Henry Cavill's Superman. And according to Deadline... And according to Deadline, Dwayne Johnson was reportedly furious when WB executives asked him to shoot a cameo as Black Adam for Shazam. Um, And Zachary Levi walked in and attempted to help de-escalate the situation. Dwayne unhinged his large jaw and swallowed him whole. (laughs) Um, Zachary Levi confirmed the information on his Instagram, stating, The Rock is pure ego. Shazam is Black Adam's opponent. That was the focus. The Rock was a disappointment. Right. Right. So essentially, it sounds like The Rock, who is championing being a champion for the industry and a champion for the DCEU, was basically a guy going, I'm going to make myself the center of this. We're going to get Henry Cavill the center of this. We're going to be the two pillars. Nobody else matters. And when his counterpart, Shazam, to his character, you know what I mean? Like they basically he's like, no, 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 no. You're not going to be in my movie. You're not going to do this. Justice Society's for my movie, not your movie. Like. That sounds yeah. messed up. Um, yeah, it's so like, that, I, I hate to say it, but it does sound like his ego is getting in the way. And like, I don't know. I just go back to like how much we were talking about before Black Adam came out, how The Rock was like so outspoken of, about how he's been a Black Adam fan for years and he's such a champion for this character and stuff. But if he was a fan of Black Adam for years, like, wouldn't he like, you know, 
<laughs> be really dedicated to how closely that character is tied to Captain Marvel himself, you know? Like, it's it's very odd, you know? I'd like to think so. Well, let's talk about some other DC news as we move forward. It's just, that's a really sad story, and there might be some more stuff breaking out of it. Right. Um, but all right, let's talk about uh, Superman real quick. Uh, James Gunn had a big Instagram post. Uh, James Gunn, yes, I am directing Superman Legacy. It'll be released July 11th, 2025. My brother, Matt, said when he saw the release date, he started to cry. I asked him why, and he said, dude, that's Dad's birthday. Um, James Gunn said I hadn't realized. It's been a long road to this point. I was offered Superman years ago. I initially said no because I didn't have a way that felt unique and fun and emotional that gave Superman the dignity he deserved. Then a bit less than a year ago, I saw a way in, in many ways centering around Superman's heritage, how both his aristocratic Kryptonian parents and his Kansas farmer parents inform inform who he is and the choices he makes. So I chose to finally take on writing the script, but I was hesitant to direct, despite the constant pestering by Peter Safran and others to commit. Just because I write something doesn't mean I feel it's in my bones, visually and emotionally, enough to spend over two years directing it, especially not mm -hmm. something of this magnitude. But the long and short of it is, I love the script, and I'm incredibly excited as we begin this journey. Um, that was just, it's not a lot, but it basically makes me go, here's a guy who loves this, he's excited about it, and I feel, this is just, it reinforces that having James Gunn in this role is just more greatness for what we could be getting in this new DCU. So... Yeah, everything is sounding good so far and um, kind of off, um, not to take it too far off topic, but I keep <laughs> in my head, I keep going back to the fact that like James Gunn, uh, I believe, wrote and directed Brightburn, which is like a horror movie version of Superman, as well as like oh, right. other yeah. ties yeah. to the DC universe. And there, I'm a, looking at that a little bit going like, well, maybe all of the weird stuff that he could do with Superman that would piss people off, he already did in Brightburn. And we're going to get like a super traditional, like just really uh, well respecting the source material and stuff. Maybe we're going to get just a really good version of Superman. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of how I'm looking at it right now. But we'll see. Only time will tell with this one, you know. Yeah. Well, let's talk about uh, some Ben Affleck news. Let's talk about The Flash, actually, because it's all kind of composed in the whole thing. Um, ben Affleck reveals how long his Batman appears in The Flash, which is, I feel like is a little bit of a spoiler, but I'm okay with it because of this whole thing here. Um, I did finally figure out how to play that character, uh, Affleck says, and I nailed it in The Flash, adding that for the first time he's there, it's really great. A lot of it's just tone. you got to figure out what your version of the person Who's the guy that fits what you can do? I tried to fit in, um, I tried to fit myself into Batman. Okay, there's a lot of Affleck. Affleck said a lot here, so um, which is really, in my opinion, a little disconcerting, but that's okay. Um, uh, let's see here. For the five minutes I'm in there, it's really great. It's a lot of just tone. You got to figure it out. So it's kind of like a mix of like I feel like some of these quotes I had to pull like were a little bit. Um, like, I feel like some people took some stuff out of context, but he said, um, but it's, he's in the movie for five minutes. Now that doesn't sound like a lot when you're dealing with a two hour movie, but when you break film down into like a minute, a minute on screen is a really long time when you actually look at what it is. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. Um, let me just here because there's some stuff about. All right. So Affleck will. There was a big rumor about Affleck directing a movie in the DCU, like looking at him to do the, the Batman Brave and the Bold. Affleck says he will never direct a movie for James Gunn. Um, I have a nothing against James Gunn. Nice guy. Sure, he's going to do a great job. I just wouldn't want to go in and direct in the way they're doing that. I'm not interested in that. All right. Now, then he said this. Um, but I was going to direct a Batman and Justice League made me go, I'm out. I never want to do any of this again. I'm not suited. That was the worst experience I've ever seen in a business, which is full of some shitty experiences. It broke my heart. There was an idea of someone, Joss Whedon, coming in like, I'll rescue you and we'll do 60 days of shooting and I'll write a whole thing around you. Um, around what you have. I've got the secret and it wasn't the secret. Um, it's really disconcerting to hear Ben Affleck say that because but then again, we know we've heard so many stories about how it all got wrecked and knocked down. And, you know, we all know what happened. And that's why we got the Snyder cut. You know what I mean? And yeah. some, of the, some of the horrible things uh, behind the scenes that, you know, got us there. Um, but it's just that's why those that's why those WB execs are not in off, office anymore. That's why they're not holding those seats. And that's why we are now moving into this new era. Um, yeah, it's it's hard to really add anything to this because it just further confirms stuff we've mm -hmm. kind of already addressed on our show. But um, no, it is it is disconcerting. It's. Um, it's just kind of a weird, like the weed and cut of the Justice League is kind of like a weird blemish on uh, the DCEU in a, in a way that like it seems to be a sore subject for all the people involved. And it's kind of unfortunate that like we it sounds like we probably won't get like a Ben Affleck Batman movie like, you know, written and directed by him because we all want that. But it sounds like that just won't happen because of uh this bad experience and I don't really know what else to say about it. It's just kind of, uh, seems unfortunate overall. Yeah. 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 Well, the flash in the realm of this coming, um, Tom Cruise has seen the flash and he loves it. <laughs> I heard about this. Um, upcoming superhero movie, the flash awaits his June 16th release. Sources say that the actor, Tom Cruise, um, has seen the movie and loved it so much that he cold called the movie director, Andy Machete to rave about it. Um, saying that any Tom Cruise specifically stated, this is the type of movie we need right now. Um, which I thought was kind of cool to hear. Um, so the yeah. thing you got to think about is that's the guy that Steven Spielberg just said, saved, saved Hollywood with Hollywood. Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. So those words, I think, do carry a lot of weight right now. But yeah, uh, just exactly. more ex reason to get excited about The Flash, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. The Flash does receive. I thought this was interesting. The Flash receives a PG-13 rating, which I didn't think it was going to get. I didn't think it was not going to get a PG-13 rating. Yeah. But for sequences of violence, action, strong language and partial nudity. Um, I don't know what that means, but we do know we see Kara... Uh, or Kara Danvers or Supergirl in Kara Zor-El, Supergirl in like some kind of a uh, hospital gown thing um, in right. the trailer. So I'm wondering if that's where the partial nudity comes in. I will say that if you know the Flashpoint timeline and how it, it looks like in this movie, 
it's not Superman or Clark Kent that came to Earth to be Superman. It was Kara who came yeah. instead of him, and she's essentially the Superman in this timeline. Um, if you know Flashpoint, Superman didn't land on the Kent farm. He landed, well, he landed in a field somewhere, but he was picked up by the government and kept in mm -hmm. a bunker and had to get rescued. They had to break him out. And from watching the trailer in front of Shazam on a big screen makes me think that that's what's happening with Kara. Um, but we'll see. I was um, thinking I was thinking the exact same thing. I'm kind of glad you brought that up. But when I saw the trailer, I was like, all right, so Supergirl is going to take over uh, the Flashpoint Superman in this story, like his role. And yeah. uh, I'm kind of curious. Do you think that Michael Keaton's Batman is going to take over the um, the sort of uh, uh, Thomas Wayne Batman from Flashpoint? Like, Ooh. I'm kind of curious about that. But at the same time, like Michael Keaton is far less brutal than Thomas Wayne was in that story. So just something I'm curious about. You know? uh, yeah, that's a good theory. Um, I'm still holding on for hope that they're going to surprise us with a Christian Bale and a Jeffrey Dean Morgan. And they're going to surprise us with good call. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Jeffrey Dean Morgan showing up as Thomas Wayne Batman and then uh, Christian <laughs> Bale being another Batman. And it's essentially the Batverse. Because um, we've all we've all seen Jeffrey Morgan as Negan, and that would be awesome to see him as the Thomas Wayne Batman. Yeah, but Jeffrey Dean Morgan portrayal. played Thomas Wayne in Batman Superman. Well, yeah, no, no, I know, but I'm just saying, like, imagine imagining how ruthless he was as Negan, and then imagining him step into that Batman portrayal, like, yeah, sounds pretty badass. I got you. I see where you're going with that. All right, so Zack Snyder teased a full circle dark side announcement. Yeah. Um, in quotes, Batman vs Superman and Justice League director Zack Snyder has teased a full circle in quotes dark side announcement arriving between April 28th and April 30th. Now, I don't know what this means, but the Internet has gone completely nuts about Justice League 2, Justice League 3. This is coming. Oh, my God. They're bringing back the Snyderverse. I don't know if we're getting that, <laughs> but we're getting a big Zack Snyder announcement. On the 20th, at the end of April. So everyone keep your eyes peeled for those dates, 28th and between the 28th and 30th. What we do know is that every year Snyder does something called SnyderCon, where he basically sets up, it's basically like a little thing where he screens his movies, he sells tickets to screen his movies, and he does Q&As with the movies. Um, he has announced that he will be screening director's cuts of his DC trilogy for charity. Director's cuts of all three films, Man of Steel, Batman vs. Superman, and the Justice League, or, J or Zack Snyder's Justice League. And he will be doing Q&A panels with special guests and all that stuff, and it's a whole big charity event. That's awesome. They haven't released the dates of those yet, but if they're going to tie it in with his Dark Side announcement, could Zack Snyder be returning to direct a movie for James Gunn, and they'll be bringing in Dark Side for this new DCU? That makes me wonder. Um, and Zack Snyder might be handling the new gods for uh, James Gunn. <laughs> that's honestly what I think this announcement is. But that's my. So, yeah, I feel to, like as opposed to Snyder versus coming back Justice League 2, Justice League 3. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, you got to be cautiously opti optimistic. Like, gotta be cautious. that would be awesome if the Snyderverse came back in some way or Zack Snyder's directing some new DCU movie, but 
it's probably going to be related to the uh, streaming of his films that you mentioned. But at the same time, like that also sounds like a really awesome event and something right. cool to be excited about, you know? Right. So we'll see. So end of April, keep your eyes peeled. Okay. Let's talk about some other stuff. These are quick hit things. Um, Willow is not getting a season two. Right. Willow got canceled. It's the first actual show that they've canceled on Disney plus, which <laughs> that did you ever, did you ever finish it? By the no, way? it's still, it's still sitting there because okay. I'm trying to watch all this other stuff. And I'm like, I gotta get back to Willow, which I, will. as much, as much as Willow sets up a couple loose ends that obviously they were planning on tying in the next season, it does have a pretty badass finale when it comes to like the final battle and stuff. Yeah. So definitely and check will, that out when you have I a will chance. watch it. I just wasn't feeling it the way I was, you know, yeah, it, how I much gotcha. I loved the original movie because I could always go back to that original movie. I just wasn't feeling it the same way. So yeah, there was something that felt a little off, and that might be why I haven't watched it again. Um, okay, speaking of Disney, um, Sasha Baron Cohen. Um, is reportedly shooting a Mephisto Disney Plus series. Um, okay. <laughs> I don't... That To me, that sounds like a rumor, but then again, we know how the internet goes when it comes to rumors. So that could be dead serious. I just don't know uh, what to say about that. Um, in the realm of Star Wars, um, Peaky Blinders creator will be writing a Star Wars movie. Um, whatever movie that Damon Lindelof was working on because he exited the film... Uh, Peaky Blinders writer will be working on it. Um, Stephen Knight, he's the writer from Peaky Blinders. So, okay. Um, All right. I would like an announcement on a Star Wars movie more than anything because um, they keep telling us there's these movies that are in production and then they tell us the movies are canceled and then they tell us these other things are in production and then they tell us things are canceled. So I almost want to be like, don't tell us anything until you have something. Yeah, it, it makes you wonder. Are you, it's like, are you guys just telling us stuff so that you stay in our news feed? Like, we want to actually like, see don't some actual about films. Star Wars. We can't forget about Star Wars. Yeah. Baby Yoda running around and it's amazing. So, <laughs> um, everything, everywhere, all at once, filmmakers are going to be working on Star Wars. Um, I mentioned earlier there's that show called The Skeleton Crew coming out. Mm -hmm. um, it's a live action show. Jude Law is going to be in it. It's very. Star Wars Celebration talked about how it's like a young crew on a ship um, and whatnot, and it, the the series revolves around them. And that sounds cool. I'm in. Whatever. Um, it'll be connected to the Mandalorian uh, timeline or the Mandalorian era. I don't like calling it the Mandalorian verse. I know a lot of people online are calling it that. I don't like the idea of that because it's still Star Wars. It's just you have the prequel trilogy. You got the classic trilogy, or you have the prequel trilogy of Clone Wars era. You got original trilogy era. You got this Mandalorian era. You got the sequel trilogy. You see what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it's like the Mandalorian timeline or the era or whatever. It's not. It's still Star Wars. Anyway, um, <laughs> the filmmakers from Everything Everywhere All at Once, the Daniels, will be working on the Skeleton Crew show. Um, I looked into it a little bit more. It looks like they're going to be like writing and directing like one, maybe two episodes. So I thought it was like a lot. looks like a couple episodes, but okay. So that's cool. Um, Disney, uh, I'll save that one for last. Um, Jenna Ortega is in talks to play Winona Ryder's daughter in Tim Burton's Beetlejuice sequel. Um, okay. I, I one. Okay. I'm with you. I feel like it's a little too on the nose, and I hope she doesn't get typecast. Um, 
I totally, I, think am, it's... I totally am down for this. Believe me, I wouldn't want anyone else doing that because she fits it perfectly. But I hope she doesn't get typecast. I think Tim Burton finds an actor that he likes and then he casts them for every single movie <laughs> until, sure. until that until he can't, you know, and uh, we saw that with uh, Helena Bonham Carter and uh, Johnny Depp so many times, as well as like even some of the side actors in a lot of his films. So I guess that's something to keep in mind. But um, yeah, that's probably all I have to say about this, one, <laughs> to all be right. honest. And then final news story of the night, which I don't know. I'm really struggling to know if this is true or not. I can't find anything on the Internet that says this is false. Um, I just I don't know if I believe it. Um, reportedly, Disney Plus or Disney purchased the rights to Friends. Not like because Friends is on is a WB show. It's on HBO Max. It's on HBO. Yeah. Right. But apparently they bought the rights to Friends. So they can reboot it. So it, <laughs> it looks like Disney Plus is going to be rebooting Friends. Okay. <laughs> uh, you're laughing and you have the exact, you have it's just, your. It's so like, well, I don't know. It, keep going, but no, I don't that's know. it. That's it. That's the whole story. There is nothing to report other than it looks like they're going to reboot Friends. There's no other information that's why I don't know how legitimate the story is, but your reaction is the same reaction I had. It just it just seems silly because it's not like I don't know. It's not like Friends was based on any sort of like special effects that need to be rebooting or anything like that. You know, it's just kind of like like how do you reboot that show? Why don't you just make a new sitcom? You know, like um, I know I've talked to people in the past about how like the cast of uh, actors and characters in um, how I met your mother is actually really similar to the characters you see in friends when you actually look at, look at like each character right. and they roll, they play, but that was still its own new thing. And I feel like we're just in a time where we need more new stuff, you know, like, I don't know. I don't think anybody's like clamoring for Disney's reboot of friends right now. I don't know. But, um, yeah, I don't, I just, I, I don't know what to say about it. I really don't. It's just, what is really yeah. my reaction when I saw the thing? I'm like, well, I guess we're going to be talking about this now. Um, so yeah, we'll see if that happens. <laughs> it does sound hilarious though. So <laughs> we'll see how this plays out. Yeah. Um, that is all I have for the news. Um, so yeah, you, uh, ready to talk about tonight's list? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right. So it is list time. So, yeah, let's roll the thing. And now for the top five. All right, Peter, um, it is your list and <laughs> i found this incredibly difficult nice so okay. you get to tell everyone what we're doing and why it's difficult <laughs> so uh these are like this week we're doing our top five um like tech gadgets from your childhood um and this is something where i was just thinking of like what are those like little like 
handheld techie things that you had when you were growing up that uh my bet my best comparison was uh like the talk boy in um home alone 2 how kevin McAllister yep. always had his talk boy on him it was like this little recording device and uh it played out with like a lot of gags and the movie and stuff like that and i was kind of like you know what were the tech gadgets you had growing up that are probably outdated now, but we're just kind of like a fun part of your childhood. And I thought this list is difficult, but I thought it was fun from a retro gadget aspect, you know, from a the aspect of like, this is uh, something that's probably outdated, but probably just cool retro stuff that we can talk about. So, yeah, yeah. that's pretty if, much it. If you heard a weird look at this or whatever that noise was, a, an ad popped on my computer and I was like, <laughs> no, 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 silent. Nice. Um, <laughs> I found this difficult because of. All right. So I grew up in the 80s and tech is not was is not what it was in the 80s that it is today. So I found it very difficult I hear you to not pick video game stuff. Well, that's the thing is like I think it's okay to do that a little bit. I just didn't want it all to be consoles. Is kind right. of where I was at. But like uh-huh. if you wanted to throw like a handheld handheld console on your list, like I don't think that's that would be an issue, you know what I well, mean? Well, you got to understand. So just so like so I so like so many people nowadays are growing up. The Internet's already a thing. Right. I grew up. I was born before the birth of the Internet. So I grew up with the birth and formation of the Internet, which means I grew up with the birth and formation of video games in the real sense of what we know video games are now. So I've seen the tech really advance. And for me to not put video games on here was weird. And I'm like, this is tough because of your idea with like, this is tech you have and you just walk around with and all that stuff. And it's just there for kids. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, um, there's not a lot of that because like when you Google yeah. tech, the Rubik's Cube comes up and I, it's listed. Oh. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And I'm like, oh, that's man. not really what I what he was going for. You yeah. Know? Um, well, I, I do I do have a couple of video game related things, so I, d- I don't want to make that off limits. I just didn't want the entire list to just be consoles. You know what I mean? But yeah, yeah, I'm with you. And that's the thing. So like and like the talk boy is phenomenal, but like I never had one. Yeah, I, I yeah. always wanted one. I just never had one. So um, why don't we. Uh, so it's my pick. I have well, finish, right. I have two honorable mentions. I don't know about you. Well, I only have one, so... Okay, so I guess I'm going first then. Um, And my first is, I could probably be pretty quick about, it's kind of all-encompassing, but I just went with random handheld games, which sounds really funny and goofy, but it's totally true, because back in the day, like, you would have, like, your Nintendos and your Game Boys and stuff, but there was all these, like, really cheaply made handheld games that were all based off of movies or tv shows or even like bigger better video games and stuff like that and they were they kind of used the same uh technology as like an old school calculator where you just had like these little like preset positions your characters could go into and they would light up depending on the uh buttons you press on the screen but i feel like every kid had like you know, 
So three to five of those at least that they would just carry around and just play with. You know what I mean? So what you're referring to is the um, Tiger LCD handheld games. There you go. That's that's uh, some technical jargon. For you. There's some <laughs> yes. technical jargon. Yes. yes. The Tiger LCD games. And these what was cool about these is like and they were kind of addictive. It was very simple. It was just like, hey, I have the Batman animated series game. Yep. Batman has like two or three different positions on the screen. He's either walking or jumping <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. And he can throw a batarang. He can punch. He can kick. And that is about it. And the villains just kind of appear, and it's like, sweet, I got to the next level, or whatever. Um, some of them, they had sports ones. Uh, they had a Little Mermaid. They had Ninja Gaiden. They had, most of them were movie-based. Um, like, hey, uh, here's the Aladdin game you wanted. <laughs> You're like, that's not really the Aladdin game I wanted, but I will be playing this anyway. <laughs> um, Dude, you know. I, I think I had the Aladdin one, and it was pretty awesome, to be honest. So... The uh, my favorite, I played the Ninja Gaiden one, I think, the most um, and only because I think that was the one I was the best at. So I played that one a lot. And I remember playing the Michael Jordan. Uh, they had a Michael Jordan one on one. So it was Michael Jordan versus Larry Bird. And you played yeah. Michael Jordan and you basically, you know, so I, I really enjoyed that one, too. But um, ultimately, they were like it was the screen itself was a standard picture. And then everything was like embedded over it like a. Yeah, like, said, like a calculator and like, you know, it's just that's what it was. So well, that, that's one of the things I love about it is just how limited the technology was. And I feel like there's probably kind of an underspoken art to the fact that, like, for example, you have the game Aladdin where the background of the screen is kind of like a random desert image that looks like it could be a number of locations from the movie Aladdin. And then you have the characters that have like a finite number of positions that they can light up as on the screen. And there's like a real limited art to how they had to like put this together and still make it a legitimate enough game that you would actually want to play. And uh, I don't know. I feel like this is, these are games that you would play now and probably go like, you know, WTF is this? I do not want to be spending my time playing this game. But at the same time, back then, it was just a really cool, fun thing. And it was kind of like a cheap birthday present you would get. And it would be awesome. You know, you could throw yep. that in your backpack and go wherever. So there you yep. go. <laughs> yep. There were just two LC, two double uh, A batteries. And you were good. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the uh, yeah. All right. So my First and only honorable mention, um, this is a tech, this is more of a toy, um, but, and we didn't have one growing up, but this is something I thought was really interesting in terms of tech, uh, was Teddy Ruxpin. Um, okay. It's really creepy, but it's basically an animated teddy bear that you put in a cassette <laughs> tape in its back and it would tell you a story and he'd talk to you. Um so, like, the tech, the idea was pretty sound, and I think that goes to some of the robotic tech we have today in terms of um, evolution, but this was, like, one of the first of its kinds. You basically had a talking teddy bear that you could give people, and, like, you know, you'd just take a cassette tape and plop it in the back, and he would tell you a story, or I guess maybe sing a song. I never tried putting music in one. I mean, I had a couple friends that had one, but I never thought about that. I was always put the <laughs> uh, put the tape in that goes with it, you know? Um, but that's honorable mention, <laughs> just something simple. But yeah, I don't know if you have any nice. thoughts on that. But I've 
I've heard of these. I don't know if I've ever actually seen, I'm sure I've seen one like in a friend's basement or big brother's room or something. I don't know. I have very little experience with Teddy Ruxpin, but uh, I hear like the stories and jokes about them and it sounds uh, kind of, entertaining in a weird sort of way so <laughs> right well like i said it kind of informs where we go like it's it, it it robotics i think exists like it's one of the earlier forms of robotics where it wasn't ai taking over the world but you could definitely see the problem coming uh, <laughs> so what's your um second honorable mention um yeah so my next one is actually uh it's kind of a weird pick but uh there used to be these uh, kind of kits that uh, when I was younger, they would market towards, uh, I guess, like younger boys and stuff that was uh, they were called magic works. And essentially you would buy the kit and you would get like a magic trick. So you would open the kit and it would be all the parts to like a certain card trick or some weird, you know, magic trick. And you could bring that into your repertoire. And maybe if you bought all the magic works set. you could have like a little magic works magic show or whatever. And the one I wanted to mention, which drew, I'm pretty sure you're probably familiar with, but I had one that was like a Sphinx and it was this battery operated thing. And it essentially was, it was essentially this really simple trick where you had a number of cards and uh, you would tell somebody to like pull the top card off of the deck and they would take that card and then they would put that card back into the deck in a random spot. And then you would insert the, the cards into this little slot that was in this like plastic Sphinx electronic thing that you have. And then you would press the Sphinx's head and the, the Sphinx would tell you whether or not the top card in the deck was the card the person drew. Oh, and I then they would remember this. <laughs> they would slowly they would. So you'd press the head it would say no press the head again it would say no this isn't it not this one this isn't it and eventually it would get to the card the person drew and basically how the trick works is the card you would put at the top of the deck always had like i'm assuming like a metal strip in it or something that the machine could recognize as like that's the card you drew really rudimentary like pretty cheesy <laughs> trick but it was super easy to do and I played with this thing a lot. But the reason why I want to bring this one up is because the Sphinx, as you were scanning the different cards and the sound effect that it would make, has just been embedded into my brain where anytime I hear somebody say, not this one or this isn't it, because I feel like that's mostly what the thing would say, it just starts playing in, in my head. Not this one, not this card, this isn't it. So because of the staying power of those uh, <laughs> sound effects, that's why I picked this, uh, yeah, this choice. I, so I forgot about yeah. the Sphinx thing. Um, but yeah, <laughs> nice. all right. Um, so this brings us to the actual picks of the night. So my first actual pick of the night, is, I'm going to toss this right back to you, is Tiger LCD handheld games. Oh, awesome. That's cool. Um, I didn't think it was, we'd match it, for that. It was one of the first things I thought of when you brought up this list to me. So, um, yeah, I don't know if I have much more to say about it, but I loved those things. It was like you just grab a, one or two of them, toss them in your backpack, and you were good for the car ride kind of thing, you know? Um, yeah, absolutely. The only downside to them is they weren't backlit. So if you didn't have good lighting, you couldn't see them. <laughs> I once saw a friend have, like, it was, like, on a car ride. They had, like, a whole back backpack filled with different Tiger LCD games, but they – 
only had two double A batteries, so whichever one they wanted to play, they, they just switch. had to switch. Yeah. <laughs> and then the batteries die, and you're just like, well. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay, so I guess I'll go with uh, my first pick. I do. I do acknowledge that this was a hard list, and a couple of my picks are. Sound pretty boring, but at the time I feel like they were pretty worthwhile. Um, and that's I Again, feel like is time. It's the fact that we existed before the internet. Yes. Well, I I think it's very what I just said is like super evident in my first pick, which is a tape recorder. <laughs> this sounds super goofy, but I remember when I was in like first or second grade, I got a toy tape recorder as like a Christmas present or something, and it was literally like this little boombox looking thing with a handle and you could play cassette tapes on it yep. or you could record tapes and it had like a microphone. Um, it had like a microphone part of it where you could talk into it or you could record the TV or the radio or, you know, whatever you wanted, but you could also play music and uh, it sounds super goofy to people, you know, kids growing up with smartphones and stuff, but that was like, part of your lifeblood back in the day. Like if you heard a song on the radio that you wanted to listen to, you would have to try to catch that song on the radio and record it on your tape recorder or your boombox or whatever it was. And uh, it's kind of funny. Like I feel like most of my friends had like a little tape recorder cassette player thing and they kind of took it for granted but it was just kind of something you had and you used. And I remember getting one at a really young age, which looking back on it, it seems weird, but it's kind of cool. Like that. I just had that there, if that makes sense. So, yeah, um, no, this is, it's really funny that you say this because of my next, my next pick of the night, nice. but, um, we didn't match, but you'll understand. Um, I hear you. The the tape recorder thing was interesting because we all had these moments of it was the cassette tapes and you recorded everything off of everywhere. Um, you know, whether you're trying to catch the right song from the radio or if you were, uh, you know, hey, I'm I, like uh, just recording stuff and goofing off in the bedroom. Like, you know, hey, what can we record or do or, you know, the, it's, yeah. it's just interesting. Um, it was a brown. If I remember right, it was just a brown, like a weird, like beiges color uh yes. really tough plastic kind of a thing with a handle <laughs> yeah um, yeah I, th I think i think as kids we had like there was like a beigeish brown one and then i also got one that was like again like tan or brown but it had like a purple like purple speaker inlays or something like that but yeah yeah exactly yeah um all right so my next one is the walkman nice perfect um, in all seriousness, when you want to talk about tech for people that they're going to carry around with, um, you grabbed your cassette tape, threw it in a Walkman, and put your headphones on and went. Um, sometimes it was, instead of a Walkman, it was the radio. Um, there's a really funny scene in the movie Summer Rental. Have you ever seen Summer Rental? I don't think so. Okay, it's a John Candy movie from back in the day. There's a really funny scene where his daughter... They're going into a movie theater and she's got her headphones on for a Walkman and she's just kind of like, you don't know what she's listening to. She's just kind of bobbing her head like she's listening to the music. Right. And John Candy is like getting all everyone movie tickets and she's just waiting with her headphones on. just kind of bobbing along. And this other guy and his son walk in to buy movie tickets to go see whatever movie. 
and her his son has got his headphones on and he's just kind of bobbing to the music and they see each other and he goes what are you listening to and she tells him the radio station and he like looks down and adjusts so he can listen to what she's listening to and they're both just kind of bobbing along <laughs> it's such a funny like nice scene like all right kids movie start and let's go and you watch them like kind of bob their way into like the movie theater um and you're just like are you ever going to take those off it was really kind of i thought it was a funny scene um that's but, awesome. yeah man it's just that's the thing like that's how we carried music around and now we carry them on our phones yeah kids to the, these days don't understand what cassette tapes are or like what's a cassette tape what's a cd um but yeah the, the best walkman. part about yeah i was gonna say the best part about the walkman though is how it became like a weird like hipster thing for walkmans to come back and i don't know if that's still like popular but i know a few <laughs> years ago everybody online was like oh yeah i got my walkman going and it's awesome <laughs> like exactly where i start the song or where i stop the song like it's right there when I come back to it. And uh, yeah, it's just kind of funny how that worked out, but <laughs> right. Um, and then the Walkman led to the Discman, which was basically, and that's not a pick of mine. It's just, oh, I thought that was going to be your next pick. No, it just in terms of, cause I thought about, I'm like, I can't put them both down. Cause that's ridiculous. Uh, yeah. But no, the Walkman became the Discman. So when it, the technology upgraded to CDs, we had to carry our CDs around with us. So it was the same thing just with the CD. Yeah. And then eventually it became the MP3s, and now we have them on our phone, and you can basically take music wherever you want, however you want. So, um, yeah, anyway, toss it to you. What's your, what's your pick? Right on. So I guess I'll go with another weird, like, uh, kids tech thing, but I actually went with uh, a VTech computer that I had back in the day that was kind oh, of yeah. like, you'd have, like, this little, like, tiny computer thing. I'm sure they still make them. Uh, in um, some VTech, form I think or another a company that definitely still makes stuff yeah and I, i'm sure now they have like full color screens and they're probably tablets and stuff but back in the day it was like a little mini laptop computer that you would have and uh you know you'd have like a couple like c batteries in there and uh you would just be ready to go and again it's kind of the same thing as like the uh tiger electronic handheld games where it was like on the car ride to grandma's house, you'd bring your computer along and there'd be like probably a hundred different games or activities you could do on these things. But I would always play like the two to three, just like standard video game type games. <laughs> like I had one that had like, I feel like it might've had a snake game on it and it had like a uh, more like a pong sort of uh sort of thing on it like those are the games i would play there'd be tons of like spelling games and math games and stuff and i'd be like i don't care about those i just want to play the fun <laughs> or like standard right. video game arcade sort of things but uh the other reason i bring this up is because the vtech computer at a certain point you would grow out of it where you wouldn't be that interested the, in the games that were on it but the cool thing about those is those had like a whole second life. Once you were too old to really care about the games that were on it, you could just use that as like a prop for like playing with your friends. So mm. it's like one of those things where if you and your friends are like pretending to be secret agents, like that's your laptop and one character has the laptop and he's like the hacker person or something like that. Um, I remember there was one moment where I saw um, my younger brother and I drew, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about, but uh, our brother, Sean was <laughs> had this VTech computer set up on a table or a TV tray or something. And then he had like a kitchen stool, like a bar stool level, like stool set up. 
and his belly was resting on the stool as he was leaning forward and typing on the computer. And he was kind of suspended in midair that way. And he was pretending oh, yeah. to be uh, Ethan Hunt, awesome. uh, Hunt from <laughs> Mission Impossible <laughs> from the first movie. And it was so it was so funny. But I feel like that just goes to show how these crappy VTech computers that everybody had kind of had a second life as your pretend hacker computer when you were playing with your friends uh, after that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's what I, that's the thing. Like we used to play, too. <laughs> that's true that's true that just video games we actually like used our imaginations um but yeah all right so tossing <laughs> it back to me um the this is one i never had but this is a piece of tech that existed back in the day that people carried around with them everywhere and it has evolved and has ultimately become the smartphone and that is the palm pilot uh, oh, nice! And if you wanna, if you wanna know what a Palm Pilot is, you gotta go watch the episode of Big Bang Theory. This is probably the most recent reference to one. The episode of the Big Bang Theory, they do a flashback of how Sheldon and Leonard met. And there's an episode where Leonard goes, <laughs> "I did send you an email," and Len and Sheldon pulls out his Palm Pilot and starts tapping away with his stylus pen. And like, oh, you did. Like, it was basically like an internet device, like a smartphone. You just couldn't talk. It handled. It handled your emails and basically a calendar. That's really all it did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but um, that was a big thing that people like business people had it. Um, and uh, yeah, the Palm Pilot, it just it ultimately it became the smartphone, if you will. So <laughs> I remember I, um, back. In I the always day, thought they was... were cool. I just never had one. Oh, I got you. <laughs> I remember one point back in the day where I was at a. Uh, I was going to see a play and there was somebody in the audience before the play who had a Palm Pilot and they were kind of looking at it, probably answering an email or something. And I remember seeing them doing that and I remember thinking, that looks boring. I'd rather just be sitting here and staring at the walls or what I'm, whatever I'm doing right now. But uh, I know what you mean. Like they were cool. But at the same time, I think I was like a teenager when they were in vogue. And it was one of those things where like, well, I don't care about answering emails. Like maybe if you could talk to your friends or uh, play video games on one of these things or something. But yeah, yeah. gotcha. Um, all right, man, what's your third one? Yeah, so I'm going to go with uh, kind of an obvious one. Um, definitely falls in the console uh, category, but I went with uh, just the original Game Boy. Oh, hey, dude, we matched on this, by the way. Nice. I figured we probably would. But I feel like this, I mean, the the original Game Boy is such a classic, uh, it's such a classic uh, console, you know, and it was one of the first great sort of handheld consoles. And I feel like the games from it and uh, just the console itself has held up a lot better than maybe um like the game gear and maybe some of its other competitors. So this one's just a classic one. I remember uh, there was one Christmas where like me and all my brothers got game boys and uh, we all got different games. And I remember I got kid Dracula, which was an awesome game. I think that's Dracula a, was really good. Yeah. It's, it's a fun platformer that still holds up. And uh, I found out later on that it's kind of like a weird 
ca- it, it's set in the Castlevania universe, which is weird. It's like a kid's Castlevania platformer, but I always loved that game. And uh, So yeah. I didn't know, just real quick side note, I didn't know that Castlevania, sorry, I didn't know Kid Dracula was part of the Castlevania uh, yeah. timeline or genre. Like, I guess it's the genre, sure, but I didn't know it was part of that franchise um, until about a year ago. Uh, they released a Castlevania, like, collector's collection or whatever on the Xbox. So it was, yeah. like, 20 bucks, and it was, like, all the Castlevania games are all the originals. So it was, like, one, two, three, the uh, first one for the Game Boy, whatever. But Kid Dracula was on there. Nice. Um, So I have on my Xbox a version of Kid Dracula. I just thought that was really cool. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Absolutely. Continue. No, I mean, I've, I've pretty much said all I was going to say uh, with the Kid Dracula thing. That was something that I was never aware that it was part of Castlevania either. But then, you know, once the Internet happened and I went down a nostalgia road at some point and uh, ended up looking that up. So there you go. But uh, yeah, I don't know if you what are your thoughts on the Game Boy? I mean, well, the Game Boy, that was like I had a Game Boy before we had any other console. So for me, that was the first console. I yep. Um, the Game Boy, um, it was. Legend of Zelda was my big game. Like the legend, the it was Link's Awakening, which has been remade on the Nintendo Switch now, um, and uh, so they have a remade version of it. Uh, but that was the that Zelda I got sucked into so bad. Um, and then again, there were all the other ones that I was like, oh sweet, I'm gonna get uh, the, the new Super Mario Brothers, or I'm gonna get oh here's a movie version of whatever. Like there were a, like I had a bunch of games, but. It was just, that was the coolest thing for me. It's like, hey, you know, it's a console I could take with me. So, yeah, I don't have the actual Nintendo everybody else does, but I can still play. And uh, it it was a good ride. I still have my original Game Boy. <laughs> um, so it's the original, it's the original, original Game Boy. I still have it, and it still works. Um, there's no batteries in it right now because of the... Uh, um, I don't because wanna... it's in one of your other Tiger LCD games. Yeah, because right? they are, yeah. <laughs> I have my other Tiger LCD games. No, no, no. I just don't want like battery. Like you know how batteries can leak and get acid and stuff. Yeah, thing wouldn't work. So I do have it. Um, I did fire it up a while back, and I remember turning it on. And I was like, oh, woof, video games today. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's cause... see, I, I I still have my old Game Boy, which I had like a little bit of a later version than you drew because I had the uh, it has like the clear plastic. It doesn't have the classic like gray uh, outer shell to it. But I feel like the original Game Boy is a good thing to uh, pull out if you're on like a train ride or something like somewhere in public when you just start like playing like, uh, you know, start playing like Legend of Zelda on there or something. And then somebody (laughs) walks by and is like, is that an original Game Boy? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's just kind of a kind of a fun little thing. But um, I will say if you are a Nintendo Switch owner, go to your um, Nintendo Direct store and type in Game Boy and you can download the Game Boy emulator for the Nintendo Switch. And they are releasing original Game Boy games for the Nintendo Switch. And all you got to do to get it for free is have a Nintendo account on the Switch. Um, they have the Nintendo Game Boy and they have a Game Boy Advanced one, uh, which is the Advanced games. So, nice. yeah, yeah. So check those out. I downloaded them because I was like, sweet, it's free. Click. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, what is your uh, number two for the night? 
Yeah, so my number two, I don't know that this was one of my favorite things, but I was really excited about it when I first got it. And it's kind of a weird remnant of the past that I feel like nobody even knows exists at this point. But my number two pick is the uh, Master Video Painter. So uh, growing up, um, my parents didn't really buy us video games like my parents weren't big video game people they kind of thought it was a waste of time I think in a little bit but so I never had like a lot of those look at us now consoles (laughs) like I didn't have like the NES or the SNES growing up but one thing that I actually did get for Christmas was a master video painter and that was essentially a drawing tablet for your TV but this is back in the time of like oh right 16-bit video game consoles but essentially it it really was it was like it was like this white and blue thing but it was literally a tablet and you would have this little like pencil stylus and you would hook it up to the um you know the av ports on your tv and you would draw pictures or paintings or whatever you want and uh, i don't believe i still have this but it's something that i bet if i plugged it in today the um you know, the resolution would be very, very low. It would be very pixelated. It would probably be kind of laughable. But this is at a time when digital art, I feel like, wasn't really a thing. Like, this was, like, early to mid-90s. And it was kind of just a really cool toy that it was just like, oh, awesome, I can draw on the TV. Like, this is really neat. The reason I say I don't think it was one of my favorite things, as much as I was excited about it, I think once I actually started to try to draw pictures on the TV screen with this thing, I kind of got a little bit bored of it. And I was a little bit more like, well, I'd rather just draw pictures on, you know, a pen with paper (laughs) or paper with a pen and stuff like that. I do remember playing with that thing. And I do remember it being really cool at first. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the the funny thing is uh, they had like. Uh, certain settings where like you would have a background that's like a pre-drawn background and I remember one of them was like a park or a playground or something and you could they had like these grab and drop like clip art characters you could put on that background and I remember doing some of those where I would literally be dragging around like you know, like there was one character on a skateboard and I would just drag him around the screen and like pretend it was a video game, <laughs> like pretending he's like skateboarding and jumping over the merry-go-round and stuff. And it, it sounds kind of pathetic for like a kid who is probably just starved for video games and like finding, you know, doing what he could with what he had. But uh, it's kind of a funny little memory with uh, the master video painter there. So, yeah. Yeah. Um. All right, so my last one of the night? Yeah. All right, so this is probably my favorite piece of tech that I had growing up. It's one that I could literally take anywhere I wanted, um, and it's one that, like, I put a lot of hours into playing with. I wish I still had it just for nostalgia, and it's unfortunately it's a video game thing because I said I didn't want to put too many video game things on here, yeah. but it's one there's no way I couldn't talk about this, and that is the Nintendo Watch. Okay. Um, I I kind of was hoping you were going to bring this up. So there were there were two of these. There was a Super Mario Brothers one and there was a Legend of Zelda one. And ultimately, it's exactly how it sounds with the LCD games, just like the LCD ones we talked about before, where it was a standard picture on the background and then everything would be overlaid on it. This is a Nintendo watch where 
Um, so I had the Legend of Zelda one. And ultimately what it was, it was basically the dungeon tile, the main dungeon room. Mm-hmm. And then you would, and it had a directional pad. And then it had um, buttons on the side for swinging the sword. Or I think there was some other function. It was swinging the sword and something else. So you literally had to like directional pad, swing the sword, directional pad, swing the sword. So it was like you took off your, you literally would have to, you couldn't do it with it on your wrist, but like you could set it to a clock. So you had a clock and you, you know, could use it as a watch, but then you took it off and you pushed a button and then you could play the game and it was a dungeon crawler. It was literally Zelda. You didn't really rescue a princess, but it was literally like move through the dungeon, eventually fight the dragon and win the game. Um, I ended up beating it. I know at least once, um, but it was a really, really cool thing that they attempted to do. I mean, they had um, calculator watches. Uh, this is, I mean, these are before smartwatches and Apple watches and stuff. They had calculator watches that kids would wear. If you, uh, yeah. if you watch the Goldbergs, um, he's got a calculator watch that he wears every episode. Um, but this was a Nintendo watch. It was like that kind of idea, except instead of a calculator, it was a quick little video game. Um, and I loved it. I thought it was great. I just, it, I wish I still had it for nostalgic purposes. Um, but yeah. Yeah. These, these were super cool. I don't know that I ever, uh, played with one. Uh, Drew, I knew you had one. I think I had another friend who had one and it just looked like the coolest thing ever. And just having that handheld game, just like on your wrist, like so easy to carry, carry around for, carry around with you. But I think it's one of those, Yes, for nostalgic purposes, but also like it could be like a really cool thing to like throw your Legend of Zelda watch on like before you go to a comic convention or something. And that cool bit of like geek cred sort of uh, merchandise you have, you know, carrying around with you. Kind of similar to the uh, Game Boy thing I was talking about before. But uh, yeah, awesome pick. And uh, this is one I have a I have a memory of when those watches first came out, I I was sitting in, I think, English class, junior high English class, and one of my one of the kids in my class had, I think, the Legend of Zelda one. Yeah. And he he was sitting there, elbows up, watch in his hand, like kind of cupped in his hand. And he's like and he, he the entire class. He played Legend of Zelda. The teacher never asked him what he was doing. I don't think she had any clue. But he literally just had his watch kind of like cupped in his hand and he was just like <laughs> listening to her and like playing Legend of Zelda. And I was sitting behind him watching him do it. I'm like, how are you getting away with this? <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. <laughs> Whatever. It, it reminds me of uh, what I saw a lot of kids do in high school, just because we were talking about the Walkman and Discman earlier. But I remember the trick with those is you would get the headphones that uh, so you'd get the headphones where. They don't have like a a band connecting both headphones. They're kind of like each headphone individually clips onto your ear. And so what you would do is you'd get one of those and you'd wear a long sleeve T-shirt and you'd have the headphone in your sleeve, like on the palm of your hand. And you could lean over on the palm of your hand and you'd actually be listening to like your favorite band or whatever. Like you'd be listening to music all through class, but the teacher would be none the wiser. So that was another uh, classic trick in the same vein, if you will. So, yeah. Um, um, all right, man. What's your last one of the night? Yeah. My last one of the night is very weird. 
Um, I it's hard to say. It's hard to even know where to begin with this one, but this takes me back to the playground. Um, actually, it might have been the bus stop, but this is back to it would have been like fifth or sixth grade. Like I remember being really young and uh, one of my friends bringing a nano fighter to the bus stop. And that's my next pick is a nano fighter. And uh, to talk about nano fighters, you have to think about nano pets or um, very similar, the Tamagotchis from back in the day. So you had nano pets and Tamagotchis, which were essentially little tiny, like palm sized sort of games but basically those were both things where you would raise a pet so since we're talking about the nano version of it you'd have like your nano puppy or nano kitten and it was like this little tiny game like it was like this little egg-shaped thing with a screen and a couple buttons and it was a little digital pet so you'd have to remember to feed your pet you know three times a day and give your pet water and exercise them and stuff like that I remember a lot of like those, like the nano pets and Tamagotchis were like super popular with like all the girls in my grade, but I always never had an interest in them. I thought they looked dumb. They looked boring. But once nano fighters came into play, oh man, that changed the game because the nano fighter was a, a basically the guy's version of that where you'd have what well, not really a pet it was more like a wrestler looking character and you would have to make him work out and you'd have to remember to feed your little wrestler guy and stuff but the coolest part about the nano fighters is they had little ports on the sides of them and you could connect your nano fighter to somebody else's and both of your characters would fight each other and essentially the way they would fight it was kind of just this automatic thing where they would shoot fireballs at each other and whoever was the strongest or fastest one would win but what was really cool is there was connector ports on both sides of the game so you could literally have five or ten people line up all their games and connect them together and you just have a massive brawl going on and it was like i remember it was the coolest thing and once i discovered these this was one of those things where it was like going home from school, telling mom and dad, like, you guys have to drive me to Walmart right now. I need to spend my money. I need to buy one of those. And they were awesome. Um, the last thing I'll comment on with Nano Fighters, though, is there was another game that was really similar at the same time. And that game was called Digimon. And it was the same concept. It was Digimon was originally, as far as I know, was the same thing where you have your digital monster, your little like dinosaur creature thing, and you would be able to connect it to another game and play against your friends. The thing about it is Digimon, I think, was actually cooler because you could actually control your creature. Like I said, in the Nano Fighter, when you would fight somebody else, you would just watch an automatic animation of your character shooting fire fireballs at other people. With Digimon, you could actually control your character and stuff, as far as I know. And it was one of those things where I think Digimon was a lot superior to Nano Fighter but didn't have the same level of marketing at the time and didn't, for some reason, nobody in my class wanted Digimon back in the day, even <laughs> though I think it was actually a superior product. So I think that's always kind of funny looking back on it. And uh, that's probably the last thing I can say about that. Drew, I don't know if you were aware of Nano Fighter or if you were just oblivious to this whole thing, but... <laughs> 
feel like I was aware of it, but I was just yeah. missed at age gap. I missed the absolutely. Post. So <laughs> age gap was enough to make me miss that. So yeah, um, absolutely. Well, hey, um, do you want to discuss? That brings us to the end of the list. So you want to know what we're going to talk about next week? Yeah, let's go for it. All right. Do you know what a noir film is? Yes. Okay. Do you know what the definition of noir means? Uh, black in French. Uh, sure. <laughs> um, they're usually movies with darker uh, tones to them. Um, uh, it, they're characterized. It's a style of filmmaking characterized by such elements as cynical heroes, stark lighting effects, frequent use of flashbacks, intricate plots and underlying existentialist philosophy. Um, mostly American crime dramas of the World War II era. Um, some big ones, for example, Nightmare Alley, uh, The Maltese Falcon, The Third Man, uh, Double Indemnity. Those are some really big ones. Most of Humphrey Bogart's career was um, film noir. Um, however, there is what's called a, it's a new, I don't know, I don't want to say new genre, but they're being called neo-noir films. Okay. They're newer films, so more present day, because I know that I know that if I said, let's do our favorite noir movie, you're going to go Googling and going, well, I never saw the Maltese Falcon or I never saw Dumble Indemnity or whatever. And it's going to be a hard list for us. Right. Right. They're they're basically calling these neo-noir movies, which is basically that thought process of the um, these darker undertones, uh Lighting effects, uh, intricate plots, underlying existentialist philosophy and stuff, cynical heroes, that kind of thing. Um, and they're doing them in a new modern way. Um, a really good example of a neo-noir movie would be the movie Seven. Um, okay. Or uh, John Wick is a good example of neo-noir. So I did a Google search and some of the movies we talked about, but there's some really cool movies on the list that fall under the category of what a noir film is. Um so instead of doing classic noir films, because I have a feeling I've seen enough to be able to do a list like that, but you haven't. Um, no offense. I just know that you probably have not seen enough of those older movies. Um, right. That's why I figured neo-noir would be cooler. And let's do that and talk about some of these more movies that fall into that uh, category. Um, I think you'll be surprised at some of the list. And like I said, some of the movies we talked about, but we're specifically looking for a certain tone and everything when you're creating this list. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, sounds fun. I feel like this one still might be a struggle for me, but I'll uh, do some it, research once, and figure it out. So. Do, once you do your first Google search, I don't think it's going to be a um, struggle for you at all. Cause you're going to realize what you're actually looking up. Um, right. Right. So uh, yeah, I think you're going to be very, I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised. I just thought this would be kind of cool just because we're always looking for something new to talk about, but I think you're going to see the list and go, Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. but it's just, it's that darker undertone. A lot of them are American crime movies, that kind of thing. So nice. All right, man. Uh, well, that brings us to the end. So do you want to toss this episode in the can and go enjoy our weekends? <laughs> sure thing. <laughs> all right. Um, so for the, uh, everybody do us all a favor, check out our website, top five report.com. There you'll find links to all of our social media, Twitter and Facebook, along with a link to our email, top five report at gmail.com. You can interact with the show there. Hit us up on social media. Either way it works. We are on Apple podcasts, iHeartRadio, Google play, Stitcher, Amazon, audible. Um, you can subscribe to us in those places. If you do, you will not miss a single episode. You can also leave us a review. We love those five stars. 
Uh, but we understand criticism uh, because it makes us <laughs> we understand criticism because it helps us get better and it makes the words we say feel important. <laughs> you can follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Drew3927. Uh, Peter, what about you? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Ninja Pierre, and that's where I'll be scouring the internet for Tickle Me Furbies. <laughs> they probably <laughs> exist, man. Um, <laughs> probably. All right, everybody. For the Top 5 Report, I'm Drew. I'm Peter. And uh, thanks for listening. Have a good weekend. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.